transformed. Just a bit of a recap, um, so that because we're going through the book of Revelation verse by verse, and so we're just going to recap a little bit on Revelations chapter 11, and um, we were looking at the two witnesses, the two prophets, remember they were symbolized by the two olive trees in the scripture, and uh, we, as we went through, uh, it's going to go very briefly through, um, uh, we saw that we... Many people try and identify the two witnesses. And if you try by the, the miracles they perform, then, then it becomes quite obvious uh, that the, the candidates are Elijah and Moses. Others think the criteria to identifying the two witnesses are the fact that Elijah and Enoch never died. And the scripture says, appointed unto man once to die. Uh, and so that these are the two candidates that come back uh, in the tribulation period. Um, to face their appointment with death. But the scriptures don't actually tell us who the two witnesses are. And as a result of that, we, we ought not to be dogmatic. We did raise the, the possibility that the two witnesses uh, that, that uh, we read about here in Revelation 11 were, the, uh, were two unknown witnesses. That was quite possible. Uh, who are raised up under the anointing and ministry like Moses and Elijah, or like Elijah and Enoch, uh, that, and we have real scripture precedent for that, don't we? I remember when Elijah was going up to glory, he dropped his mantle, and Elisha picked it up, and, said, and he walked to the river, and he smacks the river, and says, where is the God of Elijah? And all the prophets are sitting on the hill watching to see what's going to happen. And suddenly the, 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 uh, the, the river parts, and they say, the anointing is upon Elisha. And so he is now moving in the authority and under the anointing that Elijah carried. Uh, you, you see the same thing uh, when in the transition of power between Moses and Joshua. Um, God says to, to Joshua when he's uh, trying to be a little bit apprehensive because uh, filling Moses' shoes are big shoes to fill, amen? Mm -hmm. um, he, you know, he did a few miracles. He was kind of a renowned fellow. And so Joshua is feeling nervous and God speaks to him and says, As I was with Moses so I'll be with you. And so we get this real picture uh, that, that the, the anointing that Moses carried was transferred to Joshua. And sure enough, the miracles continued in, in Joshua's life. But we, we're not told who the two witnesses are. And possibly, um, if you, as I say, if you look at the miracles, then it would be Moses and Elijah. If you look at the fact that uh, Elijah and uh, Enoch never died, then they, they would be candidates. But it's also quite possible that these are two witnesses that are raised up in, in the book of Revelation at the end time that God places his anointing on these two particular individuals. Remember these two prophets, two witnesses, get into trouble with the Antichrist and they have a day of celebration when the Antichrist actually kills these prophets. And he wants to, their bodies, uh, he's not going to make the same mistake that he made at the resurrection and bury them out of sight. And then somebody can come along and steal the body and claim, hey, there's a resurrection. No, the Antichrist learned from his mistakes. He said, I'm going to display them for three and a half days. And uh, if you look at the scriptures, it says that every nation, every tribe, every tongue will see this. And of course, that's been one of the great uh, criticisms of, of the Bible that they, in days gone by, they used to say, well, how can, how can everybody uh, in, in, uh, see this event at one time, at one place? Because you've got the curvature of the earth. It's physically impossible. And Christians got a lot of flack for believing uh, that thing, but especially this particular verse. But of course, 
modern technology has finally caught up with ancient biblical prophecy <laughs> and made the impossible possible. And we now have 9-11. I don't know where you were when 9-11. I was in England and I was watching the buildings collapse in America and I phoned my mom in Africa. I said, turn on your TV and see what's happening in America. And we watched Dumbfounded as um, she was in Africa, I was in England, and we were watching what was taking place in America. Certainly, the Antichrist is going to use satellite TV to um, uh, celebrate his triumph over these two witnesses. But it's very interesting. The, the Bible actually says uh, that they shall be uh, placed uh, in the street. And the, the Greek word here is, is plateia. And Plataea does mean street. But you know, the, the Greek is a very rich language, isn't it? It means more than, than often we, we get in English. And when you dig around, uh, it, it, does, it means street, but it also means a wide street or a broad street. Um, so this is one of the main streets, obviously, that, that, that these two bodies are going to lie in. And uh, it becomes very interesting when, when you, you look at it. Um, because if you, you look at repeating patterns in Scripture, the broad street is what? The way of destruction. And uh, these two prophets actually end up getting destroyed by the Antichrist. Just a little thing to throw out there for you. But um, th th this wide street or broad street that is identified where these two bodies are would possibly be outside the Damascus Gate because this is the widest and broadest road in all of Jerusalem. And this is a picture of the road leading from the Damascus Gate. And you'll see in the center of the, the, the road, there's a big traffic circle. And uh, you, you have two olive trees planted in the middle of the traffic island. Now, in Hebrew, these, uh, this road, this broad road, is called the Habnavaim. And the Habnavaim means uh, the place or the street of the prophets. Interesting. And so what you have can you, is... Can you, can you um, spell that, please? H-U-G-N-A-V-I-N-E-E-M. Oh, thank you. Okay. That's my spelling of it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to go get a Greek lexicon and check it. But the Hagnavayim. And so means it means the street of the prophets. So oh, the question is, uh, the broad street that leads to destruction, could this be the, the, the two olive trees, symbol by the witness... Or, or the prophets, could this be the very place on which the, the Antichrist places the body of the two witnesses of the prophets in the broad street, on the street of the prophets, identified by the... It's, I don't know. I just find it very interesting um, to see that that, that, that is a, a possibility. Okay. And so we, we see that um, they, for the first time ever during the tribulation, when the Antichrist kills these two prophets or witnesses, there's a celebration during the tribulation. And they, they, they're giving gifts to men. What they're really doing is they're celebrating the anti-Christmas, the anti-Christ's mass. And so they're sending gifts to men. And so, very, very interesting. It, it, it's kind of uh, the message, I think, at that moment in time, as these, these prophets like possibly on that, that traffic circle, who knows. Um, but it seems to indicate the supremacy of the Antichrist over the God of these two witnesses, of these two prophets. Of course, this is only a temporary situation, because after three and a half days, uh, the God who gives life, gives life to the prophets, 
and an amazing miracle takes place, and you can imagine, as this has been televised all over the world, mm. what, what, that, what the poor old news anchor uh, was experiencing when he's commenting, oh, these are the two guys that caused us such havoc, pain and havoc, and uh, what's that? Do you see, do you see that guy's moving? And, and suddenly the breath of God comes into them and God raises them up for the whole world to see. This is on satellite TV. Mm. And every tribe and every nation and every tongue in the Bible mm. will see these guys resurrected mm. in the middle of the tribulation. And what does that prove? That there is life after mm. death. Can you say amen? amen? And so here they're seeing a, 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 a rapture because immediately they resurrected. God catches them up. He says, come up hither. And they start to go up before them all. I can just see the cameraman. <laughs> you know? Absolutely stunning revelation. And he's really, God is giving these guys, because remember this whole thing, the, the reason that the, the two witnesses or the prophets were there were to reap the souls of men. That's what it's all about. This is what the tribulation is all about. It's to gather in the lost. God hasn't given up on these people yet. Can you say amen? God loves every single one of us. And so, uh, we, we see that there is life after death. Okay. And uh, it really demonstrates that the, the gospel of these two witnesses is the gospel of the kingdom and is the absolute truth. Okay. So, uh, just moving on very quickly. Uh, so, to, to conclude our, our recap, we saw that in, in the beginning of chapter 11 um, of Revelation, we saw the introduction of the earthly temple, and we looked at that. And we saw at the end of last week that the close, uh, the, the, uh, the revelation of the heavenly, uh, um, of heaven opening and the temple in heaven. And we saw the Ark of the Covenant. And it's like uh, we're standing on the edge of eternity. It's like it, things are all over, almost. It's like heaven is coming down to earth. And the book of Revelation calls time out. Okay? And uh, because there's so much more that we need to understand about this process. God stops uh, and, and we come to chapters 12 and 13, which we will look at today. We get basically, I am going to look at chapters 12, but I'm going to reference some things in 13 because the players that come up um, become very often homeless. Okay, so chapter 12, we come to a very interesting <coughs> group of players. Most of them we know, um, but uh, there's seven that are going to be introduced. The woman who is clothed with the sun. is an interesting woman. I mean, every woman's been shopping for that dress. And, uh, you know, she's, she's in there and she has the moon at her feet and the stars around her head. Uh, who is she? And uh, we, we're going to look at that this morning. Uh, Dr. McGee says, if you, uh, he knew a, a very wise minister in days gone by. He said, if you tell me your interpretation of Re the woman in Revelation chapter 12, I will tell you your definition of prophecy. <laughs> and uh, that it's quite a significant thing. So if we can understand who this woman is, we have a great handle on what's uh, to come in the book of Revelation. So the other players that are mentioned in chapters 12 and 13 are the dragon or the devil, the child, Jesus, Michael, the archangel, the remnant of the tribulation saints, the beast from the sea, which is the Antichrist, and the beast from the earth, which is the false prophet. So, those are the players. 
And the things that they're going to do are going to be explained to us in the following chapters. But Dr. Reagan says that chapter 12 is one of the most crucial chapters in the entire book. Because it explains, it's, the first six verses are a flashback in time to, uh, to, and really explains what the book of Revelation is all about. It's about this cosmic battle between God and Satan, between mm. good and evil, that's been taking place in the heavenlies from the, from the dawn of time, from when man rebelled and, and uh, fell in the Garden of Eden up to the present time. And so that, that's really what the, the, the overview of, of the book of Revelation uh, is all about. And the, the final sort of segment is we're told about this cosmic battle and we're told who wins the battle. Mm. Jesus! Amen. Jesus! <laughs> Jesus! Sorry, okay, I'm getting carried away. Right. But he's the one who wins. I love the fact that Jesus wins. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, so Gordon Lindsay makes this comment that I just want to share with you, which because I think it's so really important. To fail to properly to interpret the sign would be like taking the wrong road at the beginning of a long journey. It would lead to a succession of errors. Mm. So it becomes really important that we identify this woman correctly. Revelation 12.1, and this is how we get to her. There she is. Okay, the woman clothed with the sun, the moon at her feet, and the stars around her head. Okay, we read. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars about her head. The woman clothed with the sun. She's obviously symbolic. Okay? Uh, she's not a streaker, despite what some people say. She is symbolic. She has the moon at her feet and stars at her head. This is hyperbole. This is, you know, this is a language that cannot mean anything that literal. It's a sign. It's to point us to something. Okay? <laughs> And let me say to you that there are only two real possibilities uh, to what's taking place here. Uh, because verse 3 tells, tells us that this woman gives birth to a child. And commentators unanimously agree that the child, or virtually unanimously agree <laughs> that the child is Jesus. So if it's Jesus, the Messiah, there are only two possibilities as to the identification of this woman. Either the woman comes from Mary, either, either the woman is Mary, or the other possibility is that the, the woman is identified as Israel, uh, because Jesus is a descendant from the tribe of Israel. And so those are your possibilities. But if you've had anything to do with the Catholic Church, as I did in my background, you'll know that the, the, the Catholic Church is very staunch on this, and they, they claim that this woman uh, in, in this diagram is, is definitely the, the Virgin Mary. Now, if that were the only verse um, that, that was there, if that was the only information we had, this interpretation would be credible. But unfortunately, there's more. For the Catholics. Okay. <laughs> She's mentioned again in verses 6, 13, and 14. And when you look at the, the, the additional information, it becomes impossible to reconcile this new information with the Virgin Mary alone. Uh, and so it becomes a really difficult scenario. Dr. Ron Rhodes says the problem with this interpretation is that the description we have of this woman does not fit all the facts of the Virgin Mary. The additional information is very difficult to reconcile. He says the Virgin Mary is never described as being clothed with the sun, the moon, and the stars anywhere in Scripture. 
Nor do we see Mary going into the wilderness for an extended period of time to escape persecution, verses uh, 6 and 12 and 13. Verse 6 tells us that this woman goes into the desert for 1,260 days. Now, you, you prophecy buffs will know that that, that really means uh, is three and a half years because it's described in Scripture as time, times, and half a time, which means three and a half years or 42 months. And so the Virgin Mary never went into the wilderness for three and a half years. So that, that becomes really problematic. In fact, the closest the Virgin Mary ever went into the wilderness was when she went into the hill country. Okay, and we read about that in in Luke one thirty nine. And let me just read this to you, because it's very interesting. Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country, the wilderness. Here we go, with haste. Oh, into a city of Judah. Okay, so Mary goes to visit Elizabeth and rejoiced in the city of Judah because they, they both had received news that they were going to be pregnant or that they were pregnant. And Mary stays with Elizabeth for only three months. They were not in the wilderness, but in a city. They were not persecuted, but celebrating and rejoicing the good news that they were both pregnant. Clearly, verses 13 and 14 preclude this being the Virgin Mary. Okay, then we have our old friends, uh, the amillennialists, who say that there is no millennium, that Jesus doesn't rule for a literal thousand years. They say that this is the church. Okay, I want to say to you, this is definitely not the church, and this is one of the easiest things to disprove, as, as I'll show you in a second. Okay. The woman is not the church, and here's why. Because the woman gives birth to Christ, which is... Uh, which the Satan, uh, Satan, the dragon, is trying to destroy. Listen carefully. The church does not give birth to Jesus. Jesus gave birth to the church. You see, it cannot be... How they, the amillennials get, the, get themselves all tangled up in this, but quite clearly this cannot be uh, the church. Um, and if, if we go on, we'll see... Which way do I put this thing to make a church change? Right-hand button. I'm pressing the right-hand button. There we go. Okay. <laughs> uh, Dr. Hagee points out that the, the Apostle Paul uh, actually talks about this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 and verse 2. He says, The church is a virgin bride betrothed unto God. <clears throat> so, think about it. If she's the virgin bride betrothed unto God, this woman in Revelation 12 is very pregnant. Okay? <laughs> Uh, so it is not the church, and it can't be the Virgin Mary. You say, well, okay, well, who, who else is, is there? Another explanation? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> One of the laws of hermeneutics, that's this theological jargon for Bible interpretation, says let the Bible interpret the Bible. How many know the Bible's got all the answers? Can you say amen? amen. So, we'll see that. So, right. The Bible will explain these symbols. It plays right into the hands of the Mishnaic approach. And remember, we, we, we've looked at this Mishnaic approach before. It's the difference between when, when we as Gentiles read the Scriptures as opposed to when the Jews read the Scriptures. We as Gentiles have a linear thinking. We think of prophecy in terms of uh, prediction and fulfillment. Straight line. Prediction and fulfillment. Whereas the Jews 
and use the Mishnaic approach. And the Mishnaic approach literally means repeat the repetition of instruction. It comes from the word Mishnah, meaning to repeat. And so the Jews look for these repeating patterns in prophecy. They understand it from a repeating pattern point of view where we as, as Greeks and Gentiles look at it from a linear point of view. Uh, and this becomes important because it really helps us to identify what's going on here. So, Dr. McGee again says, The sun, the moon, and the stars are the identifying marks of this woman. The sign. Okay? And they belong to Israel, and we, as we've seen in Joseph's dream. Okay? And uh, if you read in Genesis 37, you'll see this repeating sign coming up again. 37 verses 9 through 10. It says, Joseph said, He dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obedience to me. And he told his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come bow down ourselves? To the, to the earth. So Jacob, when he's told about the dream, identifies the sun and the moon as being himself and Rachel. And he says, the stars are your brothers in Israel. You know? And so he really nails it. He gets it right. This is the foundation of, of the nation of Israel. This is where the twelve tribes come from. Joseph. Um, Sorry, Pastor, what scripture have we just read? Uh, Genesis 37, 9 and 10. Okay, thank you. Okay. So, uh, so really, this, this is the birth of the, the, the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes of here. And incidentally, you know that, uh, that, that, that his brothers literally did come and bow down before him. This was a, a literally fulfilled uh, in, in, in prophecy. And that's really interesting. And so we see the birth of the nation of Israel here. And... Uh, it's very interesting. Unfortunately, Rachel had died by that time, so she didn't find down. But I want you to understand something, and this is something I'm quite excited about. As you study the life of Joseph, did you know that the past, the present, and the future of Israel is found in the life of Joseph? It's really amazing. And I'm going to share that with you um, because it really underscores that the, the, the nation of Israel is the um, fulfillment of the sign. So if we, if we understand that the life of uh, Joseph is past, present, and future of Israel, we can see, what about the past? How do we compare the past? Joseph was the favorite son of his father. Jesus was the only begotten son of the father. Both had miraculous birth. Rachel was barren, and Mary was a virgin. Both went to their brothers and were rejected. Joseph was cast into a pit. Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. Both were shepherds. Joseph tended the flock. Jesus is the good shepherd. Both were sold for money. Joseph as a slave. Uh, Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Both were falsely accused. Joseph of rape. Jesus of operating in the power of Beelzebub. Both had their robes removed. Joseph was removed to prove his death. Jesus' robe was gambled for at his death. Every knee bowed to Joseph. 
Genesis 41 and verse 43. And every knee will bow to Jesus Christ. Every Amen. tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. There is such a time. I have over 70 of those comparisons. I spared you. Aren't I nice? <laughs> okay. So there's 70 of these comparisons between Jesus and Joseph, really identifying um, that this is. Uh, it's been well said that the Old Testament is God's will concealed and the New Testament is God's will revealed. Amen. Yeah. Okay. So, when you look at this, it, it, it develops even further because Joseph was given a Gentile bride back in Egypt. And why is this important? Because she's a type of the church. They had two children, Manasseh and Ephraim, who received a full inheritance. You say, well, where did, where did that happen for the church? At the cross. Christ grafted us into the true vine. We became kings and priests unto our God. And we received the blessings of Abraham. Remember Galatians 3 talks that we, we have received the full blessings of Abraham. And so we have this full inheritance uh, as the church. <coughs> okay. So, this is really interesting. Just, just see if you can hang with me. Uh, do, do you remember the history of when Jesus, uh, Joseph went into the, into, uh, Egypt? Um, he was sold as a slave. He, went, uh, he was uh, thrown into prison. And finally, uh, he's exalted and becomes the, the, the number two ruler because he interpreted uh, Pharaoh's dreams. But one of the dreams was that there would be seven years of famine and seven years of plenty. Uh, plenty first, famine later. And Joseph was told to prepare told Pharaoh to prepare during the seven years uh, of plenty so that they could endure the seven years of famine. So uh, Egypt really had plentiful supply because Joseph had, had prepared the, the land and the, the rest of the Middle East uh, experienced a severe drought. So, okay. So let's just... Um, here, here we have a, a picture. Joseph's brothers go to Egypt. Uh, the land of plenty, looking for food. Joseph recognizes his brothers... But they do not recognize Joseph. You know, that's exactly the same way in the Jewish nation today. Jesus recognizes every single Jewish one and says, they're mine. But they don't recognize Jesus in exactly the same way. Because their eyes have been blinded. Remember Romans 11 says that their eyes have been blinded until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. In other words, God is waiting for the, for the salvation of, of, of the, the Gentile population. And, and when, when the last Gentile is saved, God will reveal himself. He'll open their eyes and he, and he will reveal himself as the Messiah to the Jewish people. Okay. Watch carefully for repeated patterns because this, is, this will blow your mind. Joseph's brother came to him three times in the temporary land of plenty. And on the third time, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. That happened to the family of Israel, Jacob's descendants, Joseph's brother. Now, the third time, he reveals himself to Israel. Now, let's look at the nation of Israel. There's a parallel here, a repeated pattern. The nation comes into the promised land, the true land of plenty, three times. First, under Joshua. Second, under Ezra, after their return from the Babylonian captivity. And the third time, in 1948, mm. when God will reveal himself 
to the Jewish people. The next thing that's going to happen prophetically is that God is going to reveal himself to the Jewish people. I want you to pay attention. Watch this. Before Joseph reveals himself to his brethren, he does what? He sends the Egyptian Gentiles out of the room. He removes them from the scene. Why? Because this is a type of rapture. There you have it. So the Gentiles are removed from the scene and then Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And so it becomes very interesting. Okay? Because this is a type of uh, uh, a rapture of the church. But before God, uh, before God reveals himself to the Jews, he raptures the church. How did Joseph convince his brothers uh, that he was who he said he was? After all, remember, if you read the scriptures, Joseph spoke Egyptian, he dressed like an Egyptian, he carried the authority of an Egyptian, and he behaved like an Egyptian. So how could he prove to his brothers that he was who he said he was? You know, Jewish history actually tells us how that how Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. And this is another reason why he sent the, the, the people out, out, out of the room. Because Joseph showed his brothers that he was circumcised. And, and, and so the, it became very clear that, that the Egyptians don't circumcise themselves. And so the, they became persuaded that Joseph was bone of their bone and flesh of their flesh mm. by the scars in his body. Mm. <laughs> At the revelation of Christ, the Jews will be convinced that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. When they look upon him, whom they, they have, have pierced. That's what Zechariah oh, says. Yeah. So it really ties up absolutely beautifully. Zechariah 12.10 And when they see the scars in his body, they will weep and mourn. Remember? Mm. They will see the scars. What did Joseph's brothers do when he revealed the scars in his body? They wept and they mourned. Mm. They suddenly realized that, hey, this is their brother. The story doesn't end there. The parallelism just keeps on coming. And it's really exciting. See, what the, the end of the story was that, that Joseph brought his family to himself. Mm. And so, it, it really is quite a beautiful picture. And he gave them the, the richest lands in all Egypt. He blessed them thoroughly. When Jesus returns to the earth and sets up his millennial kingdom, how many glad that Jesus is coming back? Amen. Amen. He's coming back in glory. And when he does, he's going to have Jew and Gentile are going to be blessed. And we are going to rule and reign with God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All this proves, I said all that to say this, the, the, the woman in Revelation 12 is really the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel brings birth to the Messiah. It's a perfect fit. There are no loose ends here. Uh, this is where the sign was supposed to lead us, to Israel. Isn't that exciting? Mm -hmm. I love that. Okay, right. Moving on. Okay. Revelations uh, 3 and 4, uh, verses 3 and 4. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his head. Well, to understand who this is, we, we told in verse 9 that the dragon is Satan. So let's just uh, have that understanding as we go through. And his tail drew a third of the stars from heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered. 
for uh, to devour the child as soon as it was born. That's the ugliest looking dragon I can find. <laughs> and he's standing there waiting to devour the child. You know, ever since Genesis chapter 3, when the prophecy came forward and God said that, that, um, that the Messiah would uh, uh, crush the, the devil's head and he would bruise his heel, Satan understood that the Redeemer, the Messiah, was going to come through the Jewish nation, it was going to come through Israel. And in his warped thinking, the, the devil thought, if I can stop the nation of Israel, if I can, I'll do that, I will overturn the word of God. And so it has been Satan's relentless desire to destroy the nation of Israel because then he could overturn, he could break the word of God. And so it, it, that's why it doesn't matter. You go through, through the history of the scriptures, you look, go back to Egypt when Pharaoh ordered the death of uh, uh, all, all the male children. And, uh, you know, you, you look at whether it was Pharaoh, Haman, Herod, Hitler, there has been yeah. a vow to Holocaust, destroy the nation of Israel. Mm. Why? Because the nation of Israel carries the seed of the Messiah. Mm. That's why the devil is trying to destroy yeah, the nation of Israel. Revelation 12, 5, and she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and the child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Now it all comes together. The sign of the woman is Israel. Remember, Jesus is a Jew, and he's a descendant of the nation of Israel. It all fits. The dragon tries to destroy Christ. Herod sent out uh, his murderous henchmen to destroy all those that were under two years of age. This is just what this is satanically inspired. This actually happened. So nearly all of the commentators agree that the child is Christ, and there's good reason for that. I can. Because we're told that he ruled the world with a rod of iron. It's a reference to Psalm 2, and we, we, we could look that up, but we're not going to take the time. It also says that this, this individual is caught up to God. It's a, a, a reference to the ascension of Christ in glory. He's caught up after the resurrection. He is then caught up into, and ascends into, into heaven to be with the Father. And he's seated at where? The right hand of the throne of God. Mm. Amen. And he's waiting for, for his powerful return. Okay. So, it's very interesting. Moving on. Verses 6 through 8. Okay. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. This is probably... Petra, scholars tell us, uh, that place has been prepared. I came across a, a, an interesting account. I uh, was unable to verify it, but I thought it was interesting. <laughs> Take it or, or reject it at, at your leisure. But I heard that there are Christian businessmen who are preparing Petra with uh, uh, non-perishable foods, and they are putting tracts into Petra written in, in the Hebrew dialect explaining the gospel. And mm. I thought, wow, that, that's kind of interesting. Kind of neat if it is happening. I don't know whether it is or whether it isn't. But uh, yeah, Dr. Ron Rhodes says, you know, the place, the prepared place is probably Petra down in Jordan. Um, I did have a map. I forgot to put it in. But uh, don't get ahead of yourself. <laughs> um, 
But you know, if if you if you look at uh, and you're aware of the, the nation of Israel, you've got the the Dead Sea, uh, you've got Jerusalem up here, and you've got the Dead Sea going a little bit further south. You've got Petra uh, down at the bottom, and so that's geographically roughly where, where this place is. And uh, we're told that that, that um, uh, you know the woman is going to flee to this particular prepared place. Why? Because there is a tremendous persecution that's going to come uh, in, in, in the tribulation against the Jewish people. Because the people of, of Israel have always been known as the people of God. Mm. And the Antichrist hates them and wants to devour them. And so he, uh, 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 when he breaks the covenant in, 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 the, in the middle of the, the, the tribulation, he then turns really viciously and hard against the Jews. And he tries to destroy them. In fact, uh, uh, Zechariah 13 uh, talks about the fact that nearly two-thirds of the nation of Israel are wiped out. It's another holocaust. Two-thirds of the nation are wiped out. Zechariah 13 and verse 8, and I'm reading this from the Living Bible. Two-thirds of all the nation of Israel will be cut off and die, but a third will be left in the land. This happens during the, the, the tribulation in the last wave of anti-Semitism. Mm. You know, anti-Semitism is raising its ugly head in the world mm. today, and we've got to stand against it. We need to stand up for our Jewish brothers and sisters. Amen? Amen. It's important that we do that. Okay? And we stand with them. Okay. Moving on now, Revelation verse uh, 7, 12, 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. So there's war in heaven. I want you to notice who this war is with and who it's not with. It's the war is with Satan and Michael. It's not a war between Satan and God. You know why? Because God has no equal. He has no rival. There's none to be compared to our God. It, it's just, that's, that's the reason that this is a war between uh, Michael and, and the devil. Because God is absolutely supreme in all things. The God is the omnipotent God. He is the almighty God. I love that scripture in Exodus 15 11. Who is like unto thee, mm. O Lord, amongst the gods? Mm. Who is like unto thee, glorious and holy, fearful and praising, mm. doing wonders? Amen. That's our God, the God of the miraculous, the God of creation, mm. the God of the universe. Our God, there is nothing to be compared to Him. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. What a privilege to serve Him, eh? Absolutely, it is. Absolutely. God has no rival, no equal, and no counterpart. Is a supreme war. So this war is between Michael and the devil. If anything, Michael is the counterpart of Satan. Michael the archangel versus Satan, the chief of fallen angels. And note, the devil can't even win this battle. Hallelujah. <laughs> he is a defeated foe. Revelation 12 and verse 9, moving on. The dragon was hurled down, uh, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Wait, wait, I hear you crying. I know what you're going to say. I thought the devil was hurled down in eternity past. And I'm going to say to you, yes, he was. From his position, from his place of authority as the covering cherub uh, over the throne of God and the Shekinah glory of the Lord. 
really important. We understand it. So, he fell. And he fell from his position and he fell from his authority. How do you know that? Because, that, you know, you read the book of Job. Do you remember when there was a day in, in the book of Job, in chapter 1, when, when the angels come and present themselves to the Lord? And Satan came also. Mm. Satan came. Why? Because Satan is still accountable to God. Amen? Mm. He's still accountable and has to uh, give an account of his being. Okay. So, Revelation 10 and 11. Now listen to this. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Why? Verse carries on. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. There he is again in the throne room, complaining and, and, and accusing us. But we overcame them, verse 11, with the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, and because we love not our lives unto the death. Ooh. Hallelujah. Ooh. We're going to serve the Lord no matter what, and yeah, we will no triumph. We will be victorious. Yes, we will. We will overcome. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. You know, the accuser of the brethren, he comes day and night into God's presence, and he says, you know that guy in Auckland? Man, God, you, you want to know that guy? That, that, you know, uh, you should see what he's doing. Wait till I tell him, tell you what he's been up to. And that woman that goes to that church, oh man, that woman, she calls herself a Christian. She's a hypocrite. You know what Jesus responds and says? He says, leave them alone. I know they're guilty, but I paid for their sin with my own blood. Mm, I paid with my own blood. Leave them alone. Thank God we have an advocate. Mm. An advocate is a lawyer. Jesus Christ the righteous, mm. who defends us against all accusation. He paid for any and all sin. Amen. Hallelujah. Mm. This sacrifice, this covenant that we've come into, is an amazing covenant. Mm. Any and all sin is covered. Mm. My sin that I committed yesterday, or the last week, or today, or heaven knows what is going to happen in the future, is taken care of by the blood Thank of you, Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. How amazing is this? We have an advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ the righteous. And you know, the devil's been complaining, and, and, and Jesus has been defending us. You know, but one day God's going to say, enough. Enough mm -hmm. is enough. Throw him out of heaven once and for all. We've just been reading about that in verse 10 and 11. Throw this guy once out, uh, out of heaven once and for all. He is persona non grata. No more accusations. No more of him, my friends. Because why? Jesus, God says, my people are saved. They are pardoned. They are forgiven. They are sanctified. They are justified. They are glorified. They are delivered. Hallelujah. Amen. I get excited about that. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> How do you know that this is the future? It happens in the future. Look at, at verse 12 and 12, 12. Because the devil has gone down to you, he's filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Hmm. He knows his time is short. We are not talking millennia here. We're not talking centuries here. We're not even talking decades here. Verse 14 tells us that it's for a time, times, and half a time. The time that the devil's thrown down to the earth is three and a half years. He's physically cast to the earth at the in, in midpoint in the tribulation for time, times, and half a time. Man, 
Things are just getting worse for the devil. I don't want you feeling sorry for him. He deserves everything he gets, okay? But, you know, think about it. He fell from his exalted position in heaven and became a profane sinner. He falls from heaven to earth. And he falls from earth to the bottomless pit. And from the bottomless pit, he goes down to the lake of fire. Hallelujah. This guy is downwardly mobile. Amen. <laughs> and things are getting really bad for him. And we're Praise God. Mobile. We are upwardly mobile. Amen. <laughs> we sure are. Hallelujah. Okay. So, this is why we told in verse 12 that the devil becomes absolutely furious. Why? Because his self-deception, his self-delusion, that he's, he thought that he could overthrow God and become and sit on God's throne. Remember in Isaiah, you can read about that, Isaiah 14, but uh, you know, he, he wants to be God. But suddenly he now realized just how powerful our God is. Mm-hmm. And that he, even as the anointed cherub that once was, is no match for God mm-hmm. Almighty. Hallelujah. And so he's furious. And so what's he do? He tries to take it out on the Jewish people. So verses 13 to the end of the chapter deal with the Satan or the dragon's attack upon the woman, which we now know is Israel. Okay. There are different interpretations as to what takes place here, but for me this is highly symbolic because Satan is referred to as a red dragon. I don't think for a minute that that picture of Satan with his tail over his arm and his full pitchfork is, you know, and, and he's depicted. No, you know, I, I think this is symbolic, and it goes on to be even more symbolic when you when you read about it. You know, it says the dragon uh, was spewing water. Hang on, I thought dragon spewed fire. <laughs> so he's putting out his own fire. You know, this must be symbolic to me. This is highly symbolic. And he's going after the woman who is a symbol of Israel. So to me, this whole thing is absolutely symbolic. Probably the only thing in, in, in the, that is not symbolic, the only thing that we can clearly identify in the scripture is the earth. And uh, you know, that, that probably means the earth. <laughs> <laughs> Revelations 12 and, and verses 13 through 17. And when the dragon saw that he'd been hurled to earth, he pursued the woman, Israel, okay, who had given birth to the male child. If there's any confusion as to whether this is Mary or, or, or Israel, mm-hmm. let, me, let me record uh, Hypolites of Thebes actually writes and records the death of the Virgin Mary. She said she lived for 11 years after the death of her son Jesus, dying in AD 41. It's a matter of uh, a record. So the woman in, in, in Revelation is clearly the nation of Israel. Can I have an amen? Mm. So, verse 14. And the woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to a place prepared for her in the desert mm. where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time mm. out of the serpent's reach. Hallelujah. Mm. There is such a beautiful picture developing here. And, uh, whoops, okay. It's the picture of the eagle uh, on eagle's wings. Okay, we've heard about these eagle's wings before in scripture, and again, this is the, this is a Mishnaic approach. With the repeating patterns of prophecy, we we get to understand what is taking place here. Okay, so the eagle's wings um, are a repeated symbol, and the explanation becomes very clear. 
It's reminiscent of, reminiscent of God's grace when he delivered Israel out of Egypt. Remember when you read the scriptures, when you look at the book of Exodus, you read it in Exodus 19 and verse 4. For you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God is saying that he delivered the nation of Israel on eagles' wings. And so it's, it's very clear that what, is, what is meant by that. God explains to them that they didn't come out of Egypt because of their own effort, because of their own goodness or their ability or their strength. No, he brought them out on eagles' wings. So very clearly, eagles' wings are then a symbol of deliverance. Okay. Here again, in the Great Tribulation, Israel cannot deliver themselves from the Antichrist. No one is interested in saving Israel. But God, by His great grace, will get them out on eagles' wings. God is going to deliver the nation of Israel. So, verses 12, uh, verse 15. From his mouth the serpents do glitter like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away. Again, some interpret this literally as a, as a great flood coming down. I, I tend to think because of the, all the hyperbole earlier that it's symbolic. Uh, and I think that, that the attack really isn't, isn't a literal flood, but I'm inclined to think it's more uh, uh, like an army that comes down. So whether it's literal or symbolic, uh, the earth is said to rescue the woman, probably by a great earthquake. And the earth, verse 16, helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Verse 17, at the end of the chapter, then the dragon was enraged and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring and those who obey God's commandments and hold the testimony of Jesus. How many know God is going to deliver us? Amen. We've got great hope. We've got a wonderful message to share with the world that our God is still trying to reach these people in the tribulation uh, and He's still trying to, to win them over so that God would love them. We saw that again last week when we were looking at that. So I want to encourage you, if we know this wonderful truth that, that God uh, uh, is about to, to do, that we, the church is going to be raptured, we need to be sharing that. You know, I remember, and I'm closing with this, so don't get worried, but I, I was watching TV in the UK, and I, I saw this program, uh, as you, if you channel surf, you're flicking over, and uh, it was a gay pride parade, and I, and I dropped the, the controls, and while I'm reaching for the controls, this guy comes on, this gay guy, and he made this statement that has impacted me to this day. What he actually said was, he said, if the gays keep quiet, we will be persecuted. Mm. I want to tell you, it's because the Christian church has not proclaimed the message of the gospel that we've seen the rise of evil. Yeah. We've told them, hey, sure. you know, there's no hell, there's, no, there's nothing. There is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. And we who know the truth must share the gospel yes. with those that don't know. Otherwise, they're going to have mm. a fearful and horrible end. I want to encourage you. Please pray about a friend or a neighbor, as I've said, and, and, and show them the love of God. Bake them a cake, cut their lawn, do whatever you can. Show them the love of God. And then, and only then, preach the gospel to them. Shall we bow our heads in a word of prayer?